Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Go ahead and find your seats. We'll get started. Why don't we start with prayer? Father, we thank you for your Shabbat, Lord. We thank you for your provision, for your guidance, Father, for your times and your seasons. Father, that you always have the right purposes at the right time, Lord, and you call us to follow after you. Father, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Father, that you would draw us nearer to you and to your purposes and what you're trying to accomplish. Father, help us to find a unity in spirit, Father, <clears throat> according to your will. Shem Mashiach, Amen. So, um, as God always seems to do, he, uh, he seems to line up the right teachings at the right times and Sometimes you don't even know what's going to happen until God just starts kind of lining it up, right? So I don't know about you guys, but I've definitely been really appreciative of a lot of uh, Philip's teachings the last few weeks, um, where he's talked a lot about chesed, right? Grace, um, loving kindness. And um, it's been so interesting because... Um, <clears throat> Like at different times in my life, I've had different opportunities to show or experience chesed, and it's not always the same, right? Sometimes there's there's greater opportunities, sometimes there's lesser opportunities. It's just it depends on what's going on in your life and what God does. But somehow it's always there, right? It's always there. And um and so one of the things that has happened for me over the last few years, especially uh, for those of you who don't know, um, my family and I, we went to Israel for a year uh, in 2018 and 2019. And when we came back, we weren't sure where we were going to go. We weren't sure if we were going to end up here. I was looking for jobs all over the place. Could have ended up in Georgia, Nevada. Who knew, right? Um... A remnant was there for us. Did we get five minutes in? Dang it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Ah. Ah. What was interesting, just knowing a lot of the history here at Remnant. The wife knows. The wife knows. <clears throat> I noticed something when first coming back. Knowing a lot of the history here, a lot of the things that had happened, both good and bad, here at Remnant over many years. Some of them I had experienced, some of them I just heard about but had affected friends. Um, I came to understand kind of two extremes of how people were approaching things, okay? And so often a lot of the disconnect was people being on one or the other of those extremes and them not being able to figure out how to have relationships with each other, okay? 
And <clears throat> one of the things I noticed was um, the, the balance that I see is kind of the balance between chesed or grace and conviction. Okay? So let me read a verse, John 1.17, to kind of help you to understand what I'm getting at. It says, <clears throat> well, let me start in 16. Out of his fullness we have all received grace on top of grace. Torah was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Yeshua the Messiah. Okay? No one has ever seen God but the one and only God in the Father's embrace. He has made him known. That's verse 18. So what I noticed was these two extremes between people who had a really high level of conviction and holding on to the truth and people who had a really high level of grace and it was harder and, and maybe they allowed things they shouldn't allow, right? And those two extremes can be really difficult. But as it says, Yeshua, full of grace and truth, he was both full of grace and truth, right? Full. Philip had talked a lot about whether we're a, a high chesed congregation or a low chesed congregation, right? Or our home groups, whether they're high chesed or low chesed. Is there a lot of grace or is there a little bit of grace? Right? And the, for me, as messianics, a lot of our, a lot of what we've experienced in the last 20, 30 years has been a lot of this high conviction, low grace. Right? High conviction, low grace. And that has been what has destroyed a lot of relationships. Now, what's interesting is <clears throat> you can go to a lot of churches today and experience largely the opposite, and that's one of the things that we try to do different. The truth matters to us. We don't want the grace that's so ridiculously tolerant that there's rampant sin in the congregation, right? You don't want that. And so you have the, 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 the overly tolerant. In fact, when I first started getting this model in my head, the word that I used wasn't grace, it was tolerance, that you have people that are highly tolerant with low conviction and people that are high conviction with low tolerance, that was how I was first starting to build this model in my head, but I really wanted to talk about chesed because of the way Philip has been hitting on it lately. Okay? And so you get a lot of, you get a lot of the opposite. Yeah, maybe you've got good friendships, you've kind of got everything goes, but there's always something under the surface. There's always something not right. You can tell people are just kind of living the way they want. Maybe they don't want to build deep friendships. Maybe they don't actually want to grow in their faith, they just kind of want the band-aid or the Sunday hit or what, right? And that can happen for Messianics too, right? That's not what I'm getting at. I'm just saying those are the two extremes. And Yeshua showed us what it meant to be high grace and high truth, right? And I would also go so far as to say that if you're low on both, you're pretty much a slave to whatever's happening in your life. Pretty much. If you, have, if you have very low grace and very low conviction, 
then you are going to be heavily influenced because you don't have enough conviction to resist stuff. And then you're going to feel so guilty about not resisting things because of the low chesed that you just end up in this terrible cycle. And you're a slave to whatever's happening to you. Right? So, one of the things that I find so ironic about it, though, I remember having a conversation with a woman that I felt like was kind of in that cycle many years ago, okay? And I said something that really offended her, because I, but I knew she didn't understand it. I said, I know you f- feel like you understand God's grace, but it's more than you think. And she was actually offended at that, because from her perspective, she was thinking like, man, the grace of God was the only thing that was getting her through, Right? And there's this strange irony that when you have high conviction, you have no excuse for not being high grace. Because you should know better. You should know that if God has this high standard of how he wants us to live, how merciful he is to us, how kind he is to people who don't know better, If you're high conviction, you should know better, right? But how merciful he is, how kind he is to people who don't know better. You should, when you know the truth, be able to see more and more and more the power of God's grace. And we get blindsided. We get narrow-minded, seeking after stuff, or the other direction, right? If you're high chesed, it's not grace at all if there's not a high standard. You see what I mean? It's meaningless if there's not a high standard. So it's the same thing. High grace people should have some sense. There's no excuse to not have some sense that there's a high standard because what's the point of grace if there's no standard for how we should live? Right? So... this is where I'm trying to take some of what Philip has been teaching, a lot of what he's teaching, and trying to put it in this this framework for us, like it's, it's one piece to a bigger puzzle, okay? It's a very, very important and powerful piece to a bigger puzzle. And one of the things that I think, I want to give a, a subtle, an explanation of a subtle nuance here, that for the sake of this conversation kind of ends up being about the same thing. But one of the things that I say is, what's the difference between grace and mercy? Okay? Mercy is not receiving punishment for something you've done wrong. Right? You deserve punishment and don't get punished. That's mercy. Right? Whereas grace is receiving a blessing that you didn't earn. They are different. Very subtle difference, but they are different. Okay? This is where when Paul says your grace is sufficient, it's, a, it's very different than saying that his mercy has covered all of my sins. Your grace is sufficient has to do with you've got enough blessing. God's given you enough to do whatever he wants you to do. And you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it, per se. It was something that was given to you that you didn't deserve, but he's given you enough 
to do whatever he's called you to do. Right? So does that help a little bit, that subtle difference between grace and mercy? Okay, in this case, though, when we're talking about high chesed and high conviction, I kind of see grace and mercy as really kind of functioning largely the same way. They're kind of both there, if that makes sense. Okay? So, now I want to ask a question more about, like, us in particular. So, just by a show of hands, who in the last two months you feel like you've received dreams, visions, words from God, things that you feel like God is... Excuse me. Okay. Now, a year ago, how many? Okay. Two years ago. Three years ago. Starts to go down a little bit, right? Four years ago. Five years ago, maybe one or two dreams. I need to go on a bunny trail here and come back. So... I'm starting to think about the dreams and visions a little bit differently. So let me give you a few examples not from our congregation. Um, So my aunt had a dream one time where um, they were driving on the highway and um, this car pulled in front of them and just hit the brakes and they ran into it, right? And my aunt is telling my uncle, her husband, this story the next day, and she's like, wow, this looks really familiar, like we were on this road in my dream. And we were driving just like this, and there was this car that pulled up just like that, and it stopped right in front of us, and my uncle swerved to the other lane, that car hit the brakes and went past in the lane. He had enough trust in listening to her that literally right at the right time, he was able to swerve and miss the car because that car did exactly what it was doing in her dream, okay? And so <clears throat> one, what, what's interesting to me about that dream is, is it's, it's very, especially when we look at like dreams in the scriptures, one of the first things that we can do when we approach a dream that God gives us is believe that it's going to happen exactly as you dreamed it. And in this particular case, the dream was a warning of something that could be avoided. Right? Now, I heard another example, and I find this one really instructive. Because when I listen to it, I don't think the person really, they were talking about dreams and visions, but I learned something very different than what they learned. This man had had a dream, uh, he had lived in Florida at the time, and he had a vision of a large tidal wave completely going across the entire peninsula of Florida. If you don't know, Florida is a very low peninsula, and yeah, you know, a 100-foot tidal wave that's big enough and powerful enough could literally just go across the entire peninsula because it's so low, okay? Um, And so he had a vision of water up to his rooftops and Florida just being gone, okay? Well, then he moved away from Florida... Well, he had a dream about him being stuck in his house when the flood happened, as in that was how he would die, okay? Well, he moved away from Florida. And then he had a dream 
about being in a prison. Didn't know where his family was. Didn't know what was going on other than he just felt like he couldn't go anywhere. He was stuck in prison, and that was it. And then, all of a sudden, something changed across the entire world, and all the prisoners were set free. And he, he felt like that was Yeshua's coming, right? That it, that, that it was when all the prisoners got set free. Now, what's interesting about those two dreams for this man is they're mutually exclusive dreams. They cannot both happen. One of the dreams has him dying in the place where he lived at the time. And one of the dreams has him being in prison where he lived at that time when he got that dream. So what I'm getting at here is I'm starting to try to be a little more open-minded about what God is doing with these dreams. And there's a reason I want you all to think about this. Because I want you all to think about what is, what, what's God really trying to communicate with us. Okay, and the grace and the, the grace and conviction comes into this because God has a relationship with each of us that is full of grace and conviction. Right? So now I want to ask a different question. What about if your dreams are simply expressing your desires? What about if there's a bit of a mix of Maybe there's a piece of your dream that's prophetic enough that you know it's important, but the rest of the dream, like, I don't know, maybe you guys have had these dreams that you just know. That dream, it's like step by step by step by step, and one day it's just going to happen like that. But then there's other dreams that it's kind of like, no, it was more like just this kind of feeling or certain event that happened, and I had these feelings, and there was this situation, and there's one piece that you know was real. But then the rest of it, you're just kind of like, it was just kind of emotions or something about the event or things that you want. And what I, the reason I'm getting at this is, I think that God is, he's working on each of us, okay? So let me show you a, a personal dream that I had had um, that was very difficult, actually. Um, I had this dream where, um, boy, this would have been 2014, maybe, 2015, because um, it was when we were going to that home church, um, or, or slightly before that. Um, there was my wife and there was another woman, Okay. And I was paying so much attention to this other woman, my wife was just kind of like there. And, and there was a lot of different little things that happened, but, but um, mostly I was paying attention to this other woman and my wife was just kind of numb and there. But she could tell something was, was wrong. And I prayed about this. I didn't understand this dream. And I prayed about it, and what God explained to me was, he said, you have an idol. So this dream wasn't prophetic in the way of necessarily what had happened or maybe what was going to happen, I don't know. But at least at the time, what he explained to me was that this was expressing what I was doing, that I had this image of a perfect wife in my mind, 
and so much of my affection, so much of my love was going towards this idol rather than towards my wife. Right? And so that was something that I had to repent of and realize that I had been doing that because she may or may not, my wife may not have been able to tell the difference, but she kind of could tell. But definitely some things changed once I dealt with that idol, right, in our relationship. Because then I could, I could accept, this is the chesed part, I could accept my wife's imperfections. I could live with who she is. I could accept who she was and, and, and still be loving and affectionate to her because she's my wife, right? And that was, um, and so that was a very difficult turning point for me, but it needed to happen. So that dream, it, it, was, it was completely revelatory, eye-opening. You see what I mean? Something that God did to, to, it wasn't necessarily something that was going to happen, per se, but it was something that was opening up what was happening at the time to explain it better, to see what it was, okay? So, um, so the reason I say that is I kind of feel like God's nudging us. God's working on each one of us. God's doing something. And what I want to try to get to today, the reason why I feel like I, I, I needed to take this bunny trail is that this conviction and grace, this, this mix of this, and the way that we build relationships, there's a net effect of what God is doing. It's not just what he's doing with you, and with you, and with you, and with you. There's a net effect of what God is starting to accomplish. Now, I want to I give you some other things to think about here. Um, Think of um, Joseph's dreams, and there's, there was a realization here that really fascinated me. So if you remember, Joseph had two dreams, one about the sun, the moon, and the stars um, bowing down him, and the 12 sheaves of grain, whatever, I, I'm, I'm misquoting it maybe, bowing down to him. And so Jacob understood that Joseph's dreams were about the whole family bowing down to Joseph. And he was like, really? I mean, really? Uh, and the brothers didn't like it either. The brothers were really angry about those dreams. So what's fascinating is, is that by God giving Joseph the dream, and then Joseph telling his brothers the dream, it actually triggered the series of events that led to the dream happening. Isn't that interesting? His brothers got angry about the dream. And, and so I say this because <clears throat> when God's speaking to us, when God's telling us things, we shouldn't necessarily assume we actually know what's going to happen. Boy, I... <laughs> Actually, I feel like God rebuked me about exactly that, like things that I think that God's been telling me, and then he's like, you don't actually know what I'm about to do. You just don't. Um, 
<clears throat> and I, I've also shared with people at times that even when God gives a prophecy, sometimes he gives a prophecy because the immediate thing right after he gives the prophecy is actually going to be like the exact opposite. In other words, the prophecy is like an encouragement. I tell you this beforehand so that you're not afraid, right? That, um, you know, the prophets spoke to Israel and talked about how they would come back to the land right before they're going into exile, right? Think of Jeremiah and Isaiah where he talks about them being kicked out, but they also prophesied that they're going to come back, right? Isaiah was prophesying before um, the Assyrian invasion of the northern kingdom, and Jeremiah was prophesying to Jerusalem before they were conquered by Babylon. But both very similar things, right? Jeremiah's prophecy had the, the 70 years that they would come back. So um, sometimes, sometimes that's what God is doing with his prophecies, right? With the things that he's telling us. He's giving us something to be encouraged about when the, when the very next thing might actually be very different or more difficult or something. I would also contend that just because of the way that God likes to nudge things and work around with things, you will also find examples in the Scripture of lying dreams and visions. In other words, something that would cause people to believe something that's not true. And Jeremiah had several instances where he faced other prophets now, was it Jeremiah? I think it was Jeremiah. It was Jeremiah. But I also feel like there was another one. Was it Elijah? That was the other one? I can't remember now. I, I meant to look this up, and I apologize. I didn't have time this week. Um, but there are examples of these lying dreams and visions. In other words, like God would nudge in a certain way, like God just gives them a vision, but they're the ones that want to believe the lie. Because they want to believe it. They want to hear those lies, Right? And, and that's what the scriptures talk about in these last days, that people will listen to teachers that tell them what they want to hear, what their itching ears want to hear. Um, but God is full of grace and truth in everything that he's telling us, right? Full of grace and truth in everything that he's telling us. He wants us to have that chesed and that conviction. And he's doing things to kind of you know, steer us back. You're getting a little bit this way. Come back. Oh, now you're getting a little this way. Come back. Right? <clears throat> and so one of the things that I contend here and where I'm coming back around to the grace and truth is um, we don't have to have a solid answer to all the things that God's telling us. We do need to understand that he's wanting us to be like Yeshua. Okay, and so that grace and that truth should be there the whole time, showing us where we want to go, what he wants us to do, knowing, based on that grace and truth, that there are some things we know we shouldn't do, and there are some things that Philip, like even said it, that sometimes grace is risky, right? Sometimes grace is risky. And there are times when it can be really hard to figure out how you do both. Right? Very difficult. <clears throat> but I think God is kind of nudging us. And so what I want to do is I want to share a video real quick.
that kind of, um, if you guys could bring up that video, I hope this kind of is clear enough. Um, maybe you guys have seen this before, but I want to use this kind of as an analogy for the net effect that I think God is doing here. Um, what happens when God is speaking to several people? What happens when we're together? Yeah, can you full screen that? Okay, so the scenario here is you've got a bunch of metronomes that are all started separately. And watch what happens. All right, keep that video available because I am going to want to go through it again and comment on it a little bit directly. Um, so there's a few things. Um, can you at least like pause somewhere in the middle there? Can you keep that up and pause in the middle? Because I want people to kind of see it as a picture while I'm describing some things. Um, so as typical of scientists, when you're trying to do things like this, um, you try to eliminate the variables. And so I will say that the analogy that I'm going to draw here today, every analogy has some limitations. Can you go ahead and get that back up there, please? Um, just, to, just pause somewhere where everybody can see it so that so I, they can understand what I'm trying to describe. Um, so <clears throat> one of the things that's kind of important in this case is that um, all of those metronomes really need to be set to the same period, right? For those of you who are musicians, you understand metronomes, right? You could have 60 beats per minute, 80 beats per minute, 100 beats per minute, Right, but the metronomes need to be set the same for this to work. Okay, um, and I I did a little more research on these things to to try to at least understand enough of the science. I didn't want to show you guys big long videos, but I looked at more videos. And um, can you go ahead and pause it and just leave it there for a minute? Oh, okay, that's fine. Um, so. Um, the way I heard one of these uh, you know, uh, professors describe it is that synchronization is almost like a, a crystal structure in time. Like what happens when like, water forms a crystal in ice, it's water's random and then suddenly it orders itself when it forms the crystal structure, right? That synchronization is like a crystal forming in time that you have something that's otherwise random suddenly aligning, okay? If you can kind of get your mind around that. And so the reason I think that's fascinating is that the alignment has less to do about where they are. I will tell you that, again, scientists trying to eliminate the variables, most of the time you see these experiments, they're all the same kind of metronome, but there's no reason this wouldn't work with any kind of mix of metronomes. If they're all the same period, they're going to be moving the same period, right? Um, and so the synchronization is in time. So here's kind of a question. When God has, is, is there a period that we live by, that we do all the time, that's a consistent one after the other. Anybody got it? Come on, I'm looking for an answer here. Huh? 
Shabbat. Right? There could be all kinds of other things going on. You could have all kinds of other issues. Actually, there's some... You see people even try to do this experiment sometimes, and sometimes it's easier said than done to do this experiment, right? The metronomes might fall over or fall off. It doesn't quite work right, right? Because you see you've got something balanced on some rotating surfaces there. It's easy for this to fall apart. But when all of them are set to the same period, the Sabbath, every week, God is bringing people together in a way that they influence each other. Right? Now, the other thing that makes this important is that, <clears throat> obviously, if you were to just set those metronomes on the floor next to each other, or on a desktop next to each other, it doesn't make any difference. Right? Because what's happening is, that base that's in there, it has to be separated from the rest of it and able to move. So what's happening in kind of a subtle way is that as the metronome is moving, the base is moving slightly underneath it. What this base is doing then is it's causing the forces to go back and forth between those metronomes. That, and so that's how it's happening, right? That's, if you just put the metronomes on a tabletop, all of those cross forces just die in the table because the table doesn't move. But because that can move slightly, it's, a, it's, it's transferring some of those forces, and then those forces are affecting the other metronomes. So, so that common base, if you're hearing what I'm saying here, that common base is creating a feedback mechanism between the metronomes. Okay? <clears throat> so it doesn't matter where the metronomes started, doesn't matter where they're at. doesn't even necessarily matter their magnitude, like how big they're swinging. And this is where I believe the conviction comes in. Right? Yeshua said that he's the foundation. But his foundation is not of this world. It's a separate foundation. Right? And, and so when we get ourselves on that same foundation... There's feedback, right? There's motion. There's God. He gets somebody started. Okay, now they're living. They're moving. They're doing what God's wanting to do. But then you're on that same foundation. You see what other people are doing, right? And you don't even have to be the one that is doing certain things per se but just how, how it influences you could cause you to do something in your area, in your space, just seeing what other people are doing, right? Because you start influencing each other. They're influencing each other. There's that feedback mechanism between each other. See what I mean? And so, the, and then um, the chesed, in my mind, is so subtle here. The chesed is in how each metronome um, receives and responds to the influence of the other metronomes. 
Because you probably saw one of those parts where four of them were doing pretty good and one of them's kind of just maybe going big or going small. And so it's just kind of a, you know, you ever had someone that you just kind of feel like there's a flow, the community kind of knows what's going on, and then there's this one person that's just bouncing around somewhere and they just, they're, they're not quite there yet. Right? They're not quite there yet. <laughs> they're not used to things or they're not understanding it. But if they get consistent on the period, if they can get consistent on you be here for Shabbat, then you get those feedback mechanisms. You get them influencing each other. Right? And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It'll happen eventually. Especially as more and more of them line up. Then it's a stronger influence from the four on the one. Right? So, um, <clears throat> I, do, I do think there's a couple other assumptions here. I don't like taking um, the analogies too far. But, to be, but also, I think there's some sense of the metronome needs to function. And I think for a lot of us, that's another element of the chesed is maybe you're broken. And you just, you can't move. Right? And what's so fascinating is that the evidence that you're healed is that you can start moving. You start to feel things, start to go along with it. You start to see what other people are doing, and you're starting to do some of the same things, how you care for people, how you love people, how every Shabbat you're trying to reach out to people. You're building relationships, right? Doesn't mean everybody's perfect. Doesn't mean we're all the same. But if you're, if you're healed enough, if you're made new, and you put yourself on the right foundation, you follow the same period, you're starting to influence each other. In my mind, this is one of the best definitions of unity I have ever been able to find. Because we've prayed for it. We've prayed for the things that God wants to do. We've experienced the opposite. We've experienced the experiment failing. Right? <clears throat> And so often, yes, yes, we have to have unity of the Spirit. That gets us on the same base. I'll agree with that. But again, that's where the conviction to get on the same base isn't enough. You're not going to have enough unity by everyone having the same convictions. Besides the fact that that will never happen. <clears throat> What's fascinating to me is that the unity is somehow found in time. Not just in belief. Unity is found in being there together. Wasn't that one of the worst things that happened with lockdowns? You realize we're on the two-year anniversary of this pandemic about now? Right? <clears throat> Amazing how fast those two years have gone by. 
It's like everything and nothing happened. When Philip was teaching last week, I I don't even remember what prompted this, but this phrase came to my head that really stuck out, that the greatness of God's plan cannot fit into a single moment of time. It just can't fit. God's plan has to play out. It has to play out. You have to have things working. Now, this is also one of the reasons why when I talk about Yeshua's return, I try to encourage people to be to, to build endurance, get closer to God, because I'll tell them, I truly believe, this is my beliefs, I truly believe that Yeshua's return is more than 10 years away. You're probably used to prophecy teachers that say, oh, well, you know, it could be in two years, it could be in five years, or you've got some classic Christian theologies of imminency that Yeshua can come back at any moment, which is not actually what the scriptures teach. It doesn't teach that he can come back at any moment. It teaches that when he comes back, that those who aren't ready won't, will be surprised. But five of the virgins were ready and weren't surprised. Okay, The scripture doesn't teach that Yeshua can come back at any moment. The scripture teaches lots of things that will absolutely happen beforehand. And a lot of that hasn't happened yet. Right? And so I truly believe that his return is more than 10 years away. You know why? And, and I want to tell you why from the synchronization I believe that. Or it's related anyway. It's not why I believe that. I just... There's a lot of believers that are just in their own little world, going by their own pace, tick-tock, 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 whatever God's doing with them. They're not on a common base with anybody else. They don't have the same convictions as anybody else. They don't have anybody else really influencing them. Maybe they're even in a community, but the community really isn't on the same base. Right? They just keep going. And when we're, when we're not on the base with God and set to the period that he wants us to be, we're really impatient. We're really impatient. So we're used to thinking in these really fast paces, used to thinking about how stuff changes from hour to hour, day to day. And I contend that God's period is the Sabbath. It's a little slower than we usually want to go. Right? So I said two years. Two years sounds like a long time. Well, that's been about 100 Sabbaths. You know, you set a metronome going at 60 beats per second, 50 beats per second. There you go. 50 beats per second, you got two minutes. 50 beats per minute, I'm sorry. And a metronome does that 100 cycles there in two minutes. 100 cycles isn't a lot. And God's, God's pace is just different than ours. So this, it, but, but his pace teaches us both conviction and chesed and grace. 
Because if we, if we trust and get on his pace, we're trusting him. We're, we're saying this is what he wants us to do. We're on his pace. But then the grace allows us to, to absorb and deal with a lot of the things that happen week in and week out. Right? Every single week is different. Every single week has different problems. Every day has different problems. <clears throat> All right. So where I want to go now is I want to go to John 17. Because, again, what I see here is I see a picture of unity. So I want to read through John 17, and I'll interrupt at some different times to try to talk, to show how this is what I see Yeshua praying. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind that when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is the time when he's so stressed, so strained, so underburdened about what is about to happen that he's, he's sweating blood, right? But this is one of the key things that he's praying for, is unity in the body, okay? So I'm going to start reading in John 17. Yeshua spoke these things then, lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so the Son may glorify you. Even as you have given him authority over all flesh, so may he give eternal life to all those who have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Yeshua the Messiah, the one you sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world came to be. <clears throat> Again, this is... It's, it's, it's like heaven breaking into earth. Think of your dreams and visions. God speaking to you and doing something to, to show you, okay? And Yeshua was sent to glorify the Father, to help us to see what he's doing, his purposes, right? Okay, verse 6. I have made your name known to the men of this world that you gave me. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. So this is where, like, it's been passed on. Maybe you had one metronome that was going, but now you get them started. You get all of them started. You get them on the same base, and now they're all going together, right? And he's got 12 disciples. <clears throat> the words which you gave me I have given to them. They received them and truly understood that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, not on behalf of the world do I ask, but on behalf of those you have given me, for they are yours. This can be a hard thing as believers sometimes. We know we need to reach out to the lost world. But what you have to do is pick them up and get them onto the same base. You got to reach out. You got to show them there's hope. You got to give them something to understand that they don't need to be alone. That God cares about them. But the unity is only possible for the people that get on the same foundation. Okay? All mine are yours, and yours are mine, for I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one just as we are one, synchronized, okay? 
<clears throat> it wasn't just, see, gosh dang it. I'm sorry. I had a conversation just after Torah study. This is another part of the conviction versus grace part. Okay? For instance, as Messianics, we know and understand that the name of God is something that Jews tend not to say. They're honoring the third commandment, right? That is not what the third commandment's about. Someone's name, their reputation, is, it's their character. It's who they are. The blessing that we sing after every service, the ironic blessing, is God saying, I put my name on you. And it's his character, it's his reputation. If you take his name on you and don't live it, that's you taking his name in vain. You're dishonoring him. You're not one with him, as Yeshua is talking about. Okay? And I say that because, again, if you have the too much conviction and not enough grace, it's the straining a gnat and swallowing a camel that Yeshua talked about. It's not just about the words you use. It's about how you live your life. What good is it if you, you know, don't say the name of God because Jews don't like to say it, but then you're still a liar or an adulterer? I mean, come on. Yes, you've dishonored the name of God. Right? Okay. Verse 11, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one just as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost, except the son of destruction, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. It's still possible. You could be that metronome that falls off. You still got to stay there. The conviction is real. Okay? There was not enough grace. There was not enough grace for Judas. Because he fell off. But now I am coming to you. I say these words while I am still in the world so that they may have joy, may have my joy made full in themselves. Which is also what Philip talked about recently, the joy, right? He talked about that more than a month ago, about having that joy. Because of how that joy comes from that fullness, the protection even, of grace and mercy, or grace and conviction, okay? Um... Okay, verse 13, but now I am coming to you. I say these words while I am still in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your world, your word, and the world hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Remember what I was saying? They're on a different foundation. The world can move underneath them. <clears throat> Make them holy in the truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world and for their sakes, I make myself holy so that they also may be, may be made holy in the truth. Yeshua set himself apart so that they could be set apart. Okay? All right, let me keep going. I pray not on behalf of these only, but also for those who believe in me through their message. Wow. 
time. It's not just the ones right now. Tick tock, tick tock. What about the next Sabbath? What about the next year? What's God going to do then? I pray also for those who are going to hear the message and keep it going generation to generation, that they may all be one, all one across the generations. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, so also may they be one in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. Yeshua said that you will know them by their fruit. One of my wife's favorite songs is, They Will Know We Are Christians By Our Love, right? If you're that lonely metronome and you see other metronomes doing that, you can tell there's something different going on, right? The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me perfected in unity. In other words, this process of us getting in sync doesn't mean we're all the same, doesn't mean we're all exactly alike, but it does mean that we're being sanctified. It doesn't mean we're being perfected. It does mean that where you're out of sync, there's going to be some nudging, some grace, and some conviction that comes your way to get you more in sync. Right? <clears throat> Father, I also want those you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, the glory you gave me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world did not know you, but I knew you, and these knew that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. God is going to shake the world. He's going to shake the world. I love even the analogies about the fall harvest that God used in the prophets where he talks about how he will beat them from among the nations. And he's using the analogy of an olive harvest where you take a big like stick and you're beating the olives off the tree. And that's the analogy of how he's going to shake the nations and Bring his people out. Right? Now, regardless of where you are on the tree, you're still an olive who's growing from the root. Right? The reason why this is so important in these last days, this unity, you don't know who's going to be next to you when. You don't know what's going to happen when. You don't know who will be here today and gone tomorrow. You don't know what friends you'll have. You don't know who will be there to help you. But you can tell who's on the same foundation, right? You can tell who's on the same period. And you can tell. It's like God just kind of sinks you up. You line up with people. Right? Can you feel it? 
Can you kind of feel the ground moving underneath your feet? Can you feel things shifting? Can you feel like you're trying to do one thing, but you can tell there's some influences pulling you slightly in a different direction? And it's not happening fast. It's every Shabbat. It's every week. And you see other people that are believers just lining up slowly. Okay? God has patience with us. God is doing things in the right times at the right places so that we're unified when we need to be unified. Right? This is one of the reasons why stuff takes a while is he triggered it and started it with enough time for us to be unified. You see what I mean? He knew. He knew how long it would take us. And he's giving us that time to get lined up. Does that make sense? The world is going to try to knock you off that foundation. The world is going to try to get you to panic and go a different speed. I got to do this now. I can't wait. The world is going to try to get you to believe that you're alone. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It's not a kingdom of this world. That foundation that we all feel it's not something you see, is it? Are you of you feeling like you're starting to feel other people through the Spirit? Do you see what I mean? That foundation that's lining us all up, when you get to those last days and you have the mark of the beast... In Ezekiel, it talks about, and in Revelation, it talks about those who are marked for God. Right? That's when the unity is coming. That's, that's when the connection that drives us, that holds us all together so that we're all in sync. It's not something that anybody else will even be able to see. It's the Spirit that holds us together. It's the spirit that you pray and it's a slight influence and someone else prays or, or receives your prayer in response and, and you just have these subtle little nudges about how you're impacting other people and they don't know it, but they can feel it. They don't know you're praying for them. But they know somebody is. Hold on to what you need to hold on to. And then let yourself be influenced by the others around you that you know are influencing you for good. They don't even have to be right. You don't even have to be right. But if you're on the same foundation, you just need to get lined up with each other. Right? Yeshua said that how can two walk together but they be in agreement? It's not that they perfectly understand each other. It's not that they 
necessarily even have all the same beliefs or anything. It's that they agree to walk together. Right? It doesn't mean they agree about everything. It's that they agree to stay together. They agree to walk with one another. Right? And any time that God does something that shakes, even when we lost John, you feel like, hey, the foundation shook a little bit. But we're all starting to move a little closer together. Right? The more metronomes, the more people that get lined up, the stronger that influence is on other people. Right? People have done this experiments with hundreds of metronomes. And what happens is you get a large portion of it that are all starting to line up. And generally speaking, the others start to line up with that, with that group. Right? But most of the body of Messiah isn't really lined up, are they? Most of the body of Messiah is still kind of tick-tocking on their own foundation or their own place or wherever they're at. But even a small congregation like us, start to get synced up, right? Start to work together. Start to do the things that we need to do. Start to have that unity. And God can do something with that. God can do something with that. Wow. <clears throat> I don't know that I have anything else. <clears throat> I certainly pray that this is something that you keep in mind because it's something that doesn't stop. You know, some lessons you kind of need to learn them and then you just need to kind of get over that hump and then you just kind of know it. That's not what this lesson is. This is a lesson that keeps going. You have to keep going. even when it seemed like it was right, then you're going to throw another person in the mix and now stuff gets knocked off again. You got to get lined back up again. Every new person that comes around. Right? <clears throat> and that's okay. As long as you have healthy conviction and healthy chesed, healthy grace, it gives the right stability and the right flexibility for everyone to get lined up again. Right? That's where we need to be. <clears throat> so we're bringing the, the table of the Kiddush table. Why don't I pray and close this up? <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for your truth and your grace. Thank you, Father, that you have... Uh, that you have been our stability, that you have been our foundation, 
Thank you, Father, that you have never wavered, but you have bent, you have moved, you have yielded to our needs. That you are both strong and kind. Father, I just pray that uh, you would continue to heal us, to heal the broken places, Father, so that we can work the way that you want us to. And we can continue to build the right kind of relationships with other people, Lord, to be truthful to each other and gracious, to be loving and kind, but to be teaching and self-controlled. And Father, we just pray that your light would shine through us. Shem Shom Shia, Amen.